Hello and welcome to this edition of the Script Podcast. I am Vibha Ravi, Senior Editor with Script and Pink Sheet. We've heard a lot about cell and gene therapies and it's indeed an exciting area that holds a lot of promise, but the modalities are still being ironed out globally. In India, these therapies are at a very nascent stage, but an enabling environment and infrastructure has been in the making. Today, we have not one, but two guests to talk to us about how genomics is developing in India. An entrepreneur, Sam Santosh, set up an incubator focused on genomics, precision medicine and diagnostics under the aegis of SciGenome Labs in 2009. Prior to this, he founded CalSoft in 1992, which grew from a niche player in the Silicon Valley to a global entity with over 1,200 employees and a presence in eight countries. With close to three decades of experience in launching and running businesses, he is currently focused on the activities of the SciGenome Research Foundation that has been set up to promote science education and research in India. Our second guest today has an industrial and academic background in drug discovery and nanotechnology. With 15 patented products in the market and nearly 60 applied patents, CN Ranchand leads MagGenome Technologies as its CEO and Chief Scientific Officer. He has in the past served as Vice President and Head of New Drug Discovery at Sun Pharma Advanced Research Center, an adjunct faculty at Swinburne University of Technology in Australia. He is also involved in the development of PhD courses with Cheriter University of Science and Technology through SciGenome Research. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's start with you, Sam. You envision SciGenome as the first genomics incubator in India. What has the progress been? Could you talk in brief about a few investments you've made and how they have fared? Sure. So in 2009, uh, uh, the concept of even an incubator or any initiatives in genomics was pretty new. And there were not uh, too many startups also at that time in India in the life sciences sector. So when I started genomics incubator SciGenome, it was mainly to incubate companies that I created. So I created four companies uh, one by one in in a gap of three years. Average, it took about three years to incubate uh, and spin off a company. So the first one was Medgenome, and the second one was Agrigenome, the third one was Saxon Life Sciences, and the fourth one was Maggenome. In your current round of investments that you're looking at, is this going to be in fresh startups that are in this field? And are you going to focus on any disease areas or you're going to be agnostic in your investments? Yeah, in this, I call it the maybe the second innings of uh, SciGeno, uh, you know, there's a sort of a gap up during the COVID time. And that during that gap, I stepped out from the first four companies. Uh, uh, I mean, the operating role in the four, four companies that I had created and uh, decided now to have a second innings of SciGeno uh, where, you know, I wouldn't be starting any companies, but I would uh, look at other companies, uh, uh, startups in the life sciences arena. Uh, especially in the areas of uh, genomics, proteomics, you know, uh, nanotech, bio nanotech, and uh, synthetic biology, and then uh, assist them in uh, with some funding, uh, with some help, 
and uh, in scientific as well as business and help them grow. What are the challenges that, that drug developers in India face in developing cell and gene therapies and in progressing the cause of genomics? Well, I mean, uh, India has been a little behind in uh, many of the advanced uh, therapeutic delivery methods. And uh, uh, even in applying genomics uh, either to drug discovery or to other uh, uh, enabling technologies. So uh, we have a long way to go. Genomics companies like Medgenome and subsequently a few other companies also that have come out have uh, done a good progress in the diagnostic space. Uh, but we have not seen many progress, uh, much progress in uh, gene therapies and in uh, CAR T area. Though uh, there is one company I know that uh, which is called Immunil Technologies uh, in Bangalore. Uh, they have been doing well uh, in bringing CAR T uh, therapy out to the market. And uh, though they have not reached the stage of uh, uh, administering it to the client yet, they have been making good progress is what I heard. I, I believe they have been funded by uh, eight roads capital from Bombay. That is one company that has so far been an exception. But yeah. do you see promise in India? You know, could you uh, during your interaction with your peers or during pitches that are made to you? Uh, it's still early days in, in this new avatar. But uh, how many such cell and gene therapies uh, companies do you see coming up in India over the next, say, five to ten years? Uh, I believe in the next five to ten years, there will be a large number of companies uh, that will be coming out. Uh, but uh, as of now, I haven't uh, come across any startups yet. This is a very complicated area, so it may not be really uh, you know, that easy uh, for, for uh, startups to uh, jump into it. So it will have to have a very uh, capable and experienced team. Uh, and a, a multidisciplinary team coming with uh, from hospitals, you know, clinicians, scientists, uh, then and and very latest technologies. So most probably this will be played out in the next few years by larger companies uh, who will have the uh, funds and the uh, other infrastructure uh, to bring around all these and maybe also bring in uh, some technology collaborations from outside the country. So if you look at Immunil also, uh, it is not really by youngsters. It is by veterans uh, from uh, from the industry who have joined together and uh, and started the company. So that is what more it is likely to be. But answering the first part of your question, yes, there will be many initiatives like that. The opportunity is very large and I'm sure uh, hospitals and uh, uh, other life science research institutions uh, will take the lead. Speaking of which, what kinds of uh, linkages or opportunities is Charter University going to provide just with foreign universities? And how will we ensure that the researcher retains the freedom to pursue his or own idea and yet gets a stake in the commercial opportunity? Plus, what will be the plan to take these to market? Well, the relationship that uh, we have started with uh, Charusat University uh, is not really uh, focused on uh, collaborating with uh, international universities, though they do have uh, some tie-ups and collaborations with uh, some of them. Uh, we also do have connections uh, outside the country. But the main focus of Charusat uh, University is to uh, ensure that the students that we are going to take in, uh, uh, in, in our program are registered and under the ages of uh, Charusat University to make sure that the basic criteria is met 
to make sure that uh, uh, additional support of academic support wherever needed uh, and facilities wherever needed uh, will be obtained. But they will be working in any one of our institutions predominantly. So and the projects will be identified uh, in you know in conjunction with the uh, with the PhD student and uh, so obviously as their work becomes uh, uh, becomes valuable they will also definitely get a, be a part of that and hopefully uh, we will encourage them to uh, then either uh, create a company of their own or uh, join some other startups uh, in the area that uh, they have worked or they will be working over the next few years and so that is uh, so that these are the way one one way we thought. That an industry-oriented PhD uh, can be uh, can add uh, uh, some more value than everybody being you know academic-oriented PhDs. Right. So typically, you know, researchers are not that market savvy, and while they might have the best ideas, uh, taking them to market or make you know giving them a commercial shape is where they typically face a bit of a problem in. So how do you? plan to bridge this gap and how do you plan to ha handhold them so that you know their work comes to fruition and they do uh, in fact make a, a commercial success of their ideas so uh, the phd program typically lasts between 4 to 5 years so there is adequate time uh, for the uh, for the student uh, to uh, and with this guide uh, to work on the area that uh, they have jointly decided to focus on and which is will be an area of interest to us so some of the primary conditions are already met when they start the PhD work itself. But the problem that we would identify will typically be something that needs some uh, you know, effort. It's not something that is right away immediately commercializable. So, uh, so that is why there is time to uh, solve the problem or the or a group of problems that they will be addressing. And uh, during the time period, they will get a considerable exposure uh, through us, uh, you know, uh, with both uh, Indian and outside entrepreneurs and other scientists. So, which will allow them to maybe even have uh, join hands with a, a couple of other people of the with the same uh, range of interest and also make sure that uh, uh, you know they are in the right track so uh, and uh, we will also be assisting them in ensuring that uh, uh, you know they don't need to themselves become entrepreneurs i mean they can if they are inclined to but otherwise uh, they can be the more like the cso or the chief scientific officer uh, and the founding team member of the company that would be created from that work okay so let me ask you a question that might be in the minds of listeners or even you know people who are interested in pursuing these opportunities so what is where does the ip rest in this case if someone comes to you and is developing an idea and wants to take it to market then where who holds the rights to the ip uh, the ip will be typically be uh, jointly held by the uh, student uh, his guide and any other people associated with that uh, but typically when a company is started, the patent will be assigned to the company. So that will be the contribution uh, which uh, uh, the, the founder will be making. Uh, right. And in lieu of that, he will be getting, uh, you know, either maybe just shares, uh, maybe shares plus some royalty, all that depending on the, you know, the depth of the finding and the value of that. Right. So you have been, you know, splitting your time between India and the U.S. and making several trips back and forth over the years. So what are the changes that you see in the investment environment in India? And is an exit for investors such as yourself easier now than, say, three years back? And what do you think of the incentives that have been offered by the government for the development of uh, cell and gene therapies? 
Uh, well, uh, the overall, the investment climate in India has improved dramatically, right? Uh, anybody can see that just by looking at the numbers. Uh, I about uh, average about, uh, you know, 40 to 42 billion dollars, BSN, you know, not million, 42 billion dollars uh, is coming to India uh, last year. And the same trend is continuing in 2022. So and this is just a startup funding that I'm saying. So uh, I'm sure a lot more other investment is coming through, you know, MNAs and many other ways. So there is tremendous uh, flow of capital uh, into the country, uh, mainly because India is growing and the opportunities in India uh, 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 is tremendous uh, compared to anywhere in the world. Secondly, uh, China is uh, facing some severe problems internally. So there and the change of uh, rules and some of the other uh, conditions there have not are, are not looking that good. So a lot of the money that used to uh, go there is also uh, coming to looking for opportunities in India. Uh, the government has also done admirable work in making sure that uh, the, the the system is conducive for that. Uh, the startup environment through the creation of the you know the registration of startups, the various schemes that are there, the large number of grants that are there. Uh, the large number of incubating centers across the country has seen like uh, in the last two, three years uh, uh, has seen the result uh, that resulting in over like, you know, 70, 75,000 startups uh, in a country which had like, you know, hardly a few, maybe 15 years back. So, uh, you know, so I think everybody can take credit of that. The growing economy, uh, the good policies of the government in number of areas, some direct, some indirect. Uh, and uh, and uh, loosening up of some of the rules in gene editing and data privacy laws, uh, you know, so all that has been uh, very good. There's obviously more work to be done, but uh, but it has been a it has been a great uh, a great uh, growth story for India. Did I miss any part of right. the question? No, I just wanted to know about the exits. Is is the route to exit easier now? It is getting easier. It is not really as uh, easy as it is uh, uh, in the in, in some of the Western countries like the US or the UK. Uh, but uh, I'm sure uh, that will develop because uh, first is first of all, the ecosystem has to be created. The investments have to come in. Companies have to be built. And then I'm sure there will be mergers. There will be larger companies looking at to uh, at to acquire some of these companies. And the bigger players are also looking uh, more into the healthcare market and the life sciences market. You can see like a couple of year back, a year or two years back, Reliance Licenses has acquired Strand and, and I think will be making a bigger play uh, into the life sciences market. Uh, Tata's, you must have seen like, you know, has acquired 1MG, a number of other companies and building up a portfolio of solutions in the healthcare sector. So uh, th these are just two big names, but uh, there are many other uh, diagnostics, uh, sorry, pharma companies and other uh, diagnostics companies also looking to looking to uh, acquire companies and, you know, give them an exit and also for them to build the future on those. Some drug focused firms like Lupin, which has, you know, typically been in the generic segment so far, they also started focusing on the diagnostic segment. So what is the link that you see here? Is there any application of the diagnostics that could be linked to their entry into cell and gene therapy? And also, uh, do they pose a challenge to your existing companies or have they expressed any interest in partnering or acquiring any of them? I wouldn't know the exact strategy or or the uh, you know outlook of what uh, Lupin has, but generally, if you look at the way uh, precision medicine is going, as drugs more drugs are made which will be linked to uh, very specifically a gene mutation, uh, then uh, we need a diagnostic test that will work closely with the drug to be sold. 
so it is of interest to uh, most drug companies as they get develop new drugs to have a, a diagnostics arm also they can either go with uh, some of the existing diagnostics companies but it might be somewhat even beneficial for them to develop at least some tests which are clearly fine tuned for the drug the drug or any other therapy whether it's a car t therapy or cell gene therapy they can uh, they it would be ideal for them to have a, a, a set of tests as needed which is very clearly uh, matching uh, with uh, with the prescription and delivery of the drug so i think it's a natural progression that is happening and even if you look at globally if you look at maybe one of the largest uh, biotech uh, companies in the world like genentech which was later acquired by roche uh, roche also has roche diagnostics uh, and they really make sure that uh, the diagnostics test tests are also available at the same time in the right way that they want uh, along with the new drugs that they are launching so either the diagnostics companies uh, will have to uh, you know develop their own or acquire uh, companies or uh, diagnostics companies or work very closely with them in partnership mode uh, so i think this will be you will see a combination of this as the industry here grows we were just talking to sam about the linkages between diagnostics and therapeutics you know precision medicine so could you talk a bit more about this ramchand in what ways are the lines between diagnostics and therapeutics interconnected and how are they blurring so let me go back about 100 years back so the drug discovery and therapeutics started probably 1900 and before that virtually nothing was there the modern medicine started there and uh, probably 1950s more molecules started coming and 1917 18s biology started coming and precision medicine lately now earlier there is therapeutics were determined by based on the phenotype or phenotypic changes for example there was no way there is any molecular diagnostics or how molecules are detected in the body instead that you know they were totally depending on the phenotype which is basically body alterations like fever cough vomiting weakness altered mental status even altered mental status is that is what even for depression schizophrenia mania manic depression these are the way it was detected but over the period when 1950 60 17 this started came by that by then slowly some kind of molecular detection started like you know protein detection glucose detection urea uric acid uh, creatinine those type of molecules started coming and that is also can be called molecular diagnostics and lately the real molecular diagnostics is genomics based the identification of gene mutations or changes in the rna expression of rna and the expression of proteins this is what exactly is the, the development of uh, diagnostics over the last 100 years earlier it is phenotype based then biochemical based then now it is genomics based now how it is interconnected realistically without a very good biochemical molecular or genomic testing it is very difficult to identify what is the type of disease so it is highly interconnected now without these two uh, that is molecular diagnostics and precision medicine you can't go ahead so that is what i feel right can you give some examples of how genomics becomes a building block for better drugs and talk a little about the application of uh, magnetic nanoparticles and bio nanoparticles okay how genomics 
can be used for drug discovery or therapeutic discovery is a very recent phenomenon. So in order to understand that, we have to go a little backwards. So as I mentioned in my last question answer, which you mentioned, that you know, um, the earlier drug discovery was highly serendipitous. That means nobody knew. There was no rationality, any kind of development of drugs. But some kind of rationality came probably about uh, 60, 70 years back, which is called rational drug discovery and development. And now it came the genomics based. Now, the first five, 50 years of whatever is the allopathic drugs or modern medicine came, there was, it was, it is serendipitous. Then came the other uh, method of identifying the mechanisms of the disease, followed by identifying the drugs based on the therapeutic product they identified. Now, when we are talking about this, the first requirement in order to develop any drug is that mechanism followed by the target. Right now, the target is target protein, which is functional protein, which can be a receptor, iodic channel, enzyme, transduction proteins, transport protein. These are the ones which is used. Now, in the last 50, 60, 70 years, determination of these novel targets is, was extremely complex. This was done only by universities and used to take probably about 20, 30 years to identify a target. But and like that, about you know, 100, 150 novel targets has been identified. For example, uh, the targets for inflammation, in targets for pain, inflammation, cyclooxis, these type of targets are identified. As I mentioned, several years and several thousand scientists worked and to identify few targets in order to develop drugs. But that has changed. After the genomic revolution, uh, the things have changed. That earlier method has changed to a genomics method, what is called genotype-phenotype analysis. In brief, in genotype-phenotype analysis, for example, somebody has a disease, there is a reason, there is a uh, possibility his genome gene is mutated for example somebody has a specific cancer 100% that person's the gene is mutated it could be a mutation it could be an SNP single nucleotide polymorph now what is genotype phenotype analysis is that identifying this disease and disease phenotype with this genotype and from there you can identify novel target using metabolic pathway analysis. I'm just simply telling in a very simple way. It's not that as simple, it's an extremely complex. So this way, the genomics has revolutionized identifying novel targets. Unless we identify novel targets, you will not be able to develop novel drugs. The second is called mRNA expression studies. That means during a disease process, the people's mRNA or RNA is upregulated or downregulated which eventually changes the protein uh, expression. So by identifying this mRNA expression, also novel targets can be identified. From there, novel drugs can be done. So this is probably very briefly the how the revolution or evolution of drug discovery has happened over the last 100 to 120 years. So you mentioned, uh, mentioned uh, mRNA expression and COVID is a prime example of how, you know, uh, using the mRNA technology, a vaccine was developed. What kind of opportunities has COVID given to your company? And 
since you know many more diagnostic uh, companies came in in terms of competition what does it mean meant for you example for just to give you an example serum invested in my labs which was uh, uh, you know which made those kits to uh, detect covid and uh, a lot of interest from uh, say vaccine companies has been ongoing in 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 the diagnostic space so what do you make of it and what has it meant for you in terms of competition yeah <clears throat> good question and uh, we were lucky to develop the complete covid kit i will tell you the background before that we were just getting into break even about just before covid was started that is almost 3 years back then um, our all the kits which is involved in various dna extraction rna extraction protein extraction and various other things getting to that this covid came and you know we could not sell anything then we found an opportunity then immediately what we have done is a viral transfer medium molecular transfer medium rna extraction from the virus then followed by rt pcr which we did so it took because of our expertise it took probably 3 months to develop the entire thing but it took another 3 4 months to get the approval normally these type of novel therapeutic diagnostic kits or drugs the maximum time goes for regulatory approval but somewhere or other we could get that one interestingly there was at that time this covid detection has three steps one is the earlier that you know whether throat swabs are taken put it into a liquid that is called uh, Uh, the, the the viral transfer medium or molecular transfer medium then the second most important thing there is virtually no competition is the rna extraction from the virus only few companies had that at that time that is uh, one i know about quagen and few other companies were there we used our technology and developed this rna extraction extremely well and probably right now i can say the best rna extraction kit is ours because we have got almost 100% specificity and sensitivity and which is uh, supported by all the testing companies also then the third one was uh, the rt pcr kits all these things we developed and because we brought into the market the our rna extraction it was far cheaper and it was very easy to automate so these two things we were very successful and almost about you know in 9 months 6% of the indian market we could get the whole over tamil nadu and many other large companies started buying our product apart from that another major change what has happened is that automation automation was not there for any kind of dna rna extractions because thousands and thousands of sample has to be uh, identified extracted and tested automation came now we also got into that and we have our own automation equipment so this was a really a very um, big boon for uh, magino and uh, now we know um, various dna extractions rna extraction how it is to be automated that is what we are now focusing on now your question on basically uh, i wanted to know if there has been any Uh, investor interest in your company of course i mean the, the company itself is a product of incubation but uh, has any vc firm or uh, corporate investor approached you for either buying a stake or buying the uh, it won't be the technology but rather partnering with you to develop their therapies or something like that yes um, there are some companies were interested 
to invest in us. But then what we have decided is that you know we'll not go ahead immediately because we are planning to expand, uh, develop some more products and introduce the worldwide market, which is one size selection kit, which is one of the very few companies has developed. This is mainly required for the next generation sequencing. Probably after that, we will go for additional investment from other companies. Probably Sam would have uh, could have answered this much better, but this is my answer. Okay, so I was asking whether you said site selection kit. Uh, yes, okay. that, that is one something which is required for uh, uh, the next generation sequencing. And right now, uh, one of the company which manufacturer is called the Ampure. And uh, Ampure is extremely expensive. And this is one of the major things which is required. And now we have developed, we have just launched that product during the conference, what we have done. And we expect a large traction worldwide for this product. And hopefully, we are introduced uh, all over the world. World, what I mean is US market, Canadian market, European market in the next six months to one year. So given that you are uh, an expert in nanotechnology, how do you think nanotechnology is going to pave the way for personalized medicine? And uh, where is India on that curve so far? And what has been the most significant milestone achieved uh, in that direction? Nanotechnology, nanoparticles has got various applications. I mean, right from physics, engineering, medicine, therapeutics, diagnostics, agriculture, various applications are there. We ourselves is looking into various applications like water purification, adjoint vaccines, and similar many other things. Now, as far as uh, the current question, uh, what you mentioned, what we can do is that, you know, first of all, the precision medicine require a lot of gene sequencing or next generation sequencing or mRNA extraction and its sequencing or its expression studies. All these require our product. For example, if you want to uh, extract DNA. We have the best DNA extraction and automation facilities there. The same way RNA also. And if somebody wants to sequence this DNA and RNA, we have the size selection. So we have end-to-end -end, uh, required products for sequencing where precision medicine can be done. And as we discussed, the precision medicine is the next 20-30 years. It is going to be in a very big way. Uh, precision diagnostics and precision medicine is going to come and for this our product will be required. You also mentioned vaccines earlier. That is um, vaccine means uh, adjuvant vaccine. We, are, we ourselves is not going for vaccine but then adjuvant means every vaccine. Yes, so that we are developing using this nanoparticle. Oh, that's very interesting because that could be, you know, that could really expand your market. You could uh, collaborate with so many of these vaccine makers that would need an adjuvant uh, for the next generation of vaccines. Yes, that the so, opportunity is very big. There is uh, right now many of the vaccine has got a lot of deficiency. What is called the cold chain. Cold chain is like, you know, if you want to take a vaccine from India to another country, you have to keep it under four degree or below that one. So what we have found is that, you know, our technology will not easily denature the protein. So that is what we are looking into. And apart from that one, the activity of the antigen which is going to be injected will be far superior. So these are the couple of um, opportunities with the nanoparticle based adjuvant that we are developing. 
So that will be quite interesting. So this is in development right now or it's. Um, yes, yes, we have already yes, initiated the process. OK, so it just started the process of developing these adjuvants for vaccines. Correct, yeah, but it can take few years. OK, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mr. Ramchan. It was nice talking to you and to Sam. With that, we conclude this session and I hope the podcast was of interest to you, our listeners. We have many more on all the pla popular platforms from Spotify to Apple Podcasts. But if you prefer reading over listening, do subscribe to pharma intelligence products like Script Intelligence and Pink Sheet. Bye for now.